Hello and welcome to Euractiv's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foots. I'm Julia Dow. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractiv's Agri-Food News team. So welcome back to a new episode of the Agri-Food Podcast. Uh, the, actually, the first uh, Agri-Food Podcast coming out on Monday in the new publication time. So it's no longer, mm. yeah, it's no longer on Friday. Uh, Natasha, you seem surprised. Yeah. <laughs> no, not surprised, just excited. Ah, okay. excited. Excited for this new ah, okay. Monday era of th- the podcast. I thought it was like, uh, oh, it's the first time I, I've heard about it. No, uh, <laughs> we, actually, <laughs> we took the decision. Like, oh, this is such a surprise. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, 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 yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, so you don't have to wait for Friday afternoon anymore, but on Monday. Um, Start your week off right, yeah. listening to the dulcet tones of our voices. With the right food, okay. I, mean, I said that. It's uh, not the week on the right foot. Very so probably, good. Very no, good. it's probably the, I don't know, eighth time in uh, almost 100 episodes that I use this uh, pun. <laughs> so it's... Um, so yeah, um, but let's dive into the news of uh, last week and uh, with an eye on what's going to happen uh, this week. And uh, actually, we have to start uh, talking about the Agrifish Council, uh, which is uh, um, scheduled uh, for tomorrow uh, here in Brussels. Um, there's a quite... Uh, not super big agenda in terms of topics. I mean, there are some relevant topics, but um, I don't know, maybe the the previous uh, Agrifish Council meetings were a bit uh, busier. They were, they were also on two days, but this week it's just one day. Yes, maybe the fact that it's, that it's not so packed, the agenda gives a chance uh, to the new French minister to have a bit of acclimatization because it will actually be uh, his, first, his first meeting. So, uh, indeed, indeed. If, he, if he's there. Um, yeah, it's true. The new um, taking over from Julien de Normandie, which quite big boots to fill because Julien was very, a very active uh, French minister, obviously just seen us through, well, seen seen us seen the through the french presidency and also through the the election so um yeah julien de normandie he's taken time off he's decided to take a step back from his role uh to spend more time with his family i think he said in a statement yeah yeah it's also um, true that i mean it, it was uh, there were rumor um of him becoming uh, no less than prime minister uh, it mm. didn't go like this so probably uh, he also stepped down because uh, he didn't get the, how can I say, the slice of the cake that he wanted. Mm. Uh, so he didn't want, he didn't want to come back to. I don't know how to to to, to finish this uh, metaphor. Probably he didn't want to, <laughs> to to come back to the the previous dessert. But um, yeah, no, no, indeed, you said uh, you said right, and also this uh, Mark Fesno the new agricultural minister. Uh, to be fair, I haven't read the profile yet because they they did the they did a very late confession. Yeah, they did a very late press conference on Friday, and our colleague uh, Hugo uh, was there. So I completely rely on uh, his takes. So I'm waiting for for his profile. <laughs> I I only know that he's some kind of 
a hunter, like it's close to the hunting lobby. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that is something that I. But apart from the the press release uh, released by the the French farmers uh, lobby, I don't know much more about it. Well, I guess we're going to find out more tomorrow in person. Yeah. Can yeah. Put some questions to him. I th- what I find interesting about the appointment of the new French minister is that he has um, a new addition to his name. So he's not just the um, France's agriculture minister. It's He's minister of agriculture and also um, food sovereignty. Which is obviously a huge, you know, it's always yeah. been a big topic for, for the French. Um, but it's interesting that they've decided to kind of consecrate that actually in the name and make it like this official kind of statement. I think it will be interesting to hear what exactly, you know, that means and what his, you know, his idea of that is and kind of what his plans are in that area. I mean, it's obviously been something that French have been pushing on for a long time, but the fact that it's officially in the name now yeah. gives a quite quite a strong importance, I think, to this. No, it's, it's, it's a message uh, from the Macron's administration. I mean, again, as you said, it was already quite high on the agenda of, of, of uh, uh, French governments, but uh, yeah, it's it's quite of a recognition of the talk. Also, because, I mean, in the end, uh, there's also, um, it's not only about uh, farmers, but there's also uh, something in the pipeline of the French government when it comes to food prices. Uh, mm. There was a very... Uh, extensive coverage uh, on uh, your active France uh, on this uh, so yeah the, 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 the issue of food uh, and we, we in translating into declination of food sovereignty it's it's quite uh, it's quite big in France so absolutely this is one uh, question that uh, um, we probably should ask tomorrow <laughs> at, the, at the French conference. If, Don't give away our questions before we've gone there, Gerardo. No, I mean it's it's the so that the French people could actually prepare uh, <laughs> because I'm sh- I'm sure they're going to listen to the twelve part. So. <laughs> right, sure, sure. But uh, yeah, as Julia said, this is this is going to be the first uh, probably. I mean. I, we assume that uh, he's going to be there. Uh, at the same time, there's, there are also some discussion on the uh, agricultural markets. Uh, it's quite weird that I'm reading the agenda, so the, the presentation of the Agri-Fish Council. In the agric- agricultural markets uh, um, part, there's no mention of food security. They say mm-hmm. food for the, the first time. The first time, but it's, it's weird because actually it's everywhere. Like we, there was this conference uh, on Friday with um, uh, the EU diplomacy chief Borrell saying that food security is an issue and we need more food diplomacy. Uh, also, the Economist uh, on the cover of the Economist, there was the issue of food security. It's true. It's true. It's very true. With this, I think everyone's probably seen it by now. But with the skulls making up the the, the wheat, it's actually quite a very you know very um, well. It's a powerful but very controversial image that everyone was talking about a lot on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Just to be just to point this out, we were there from day one uh, reporting on uh, food security. We're not the newcomers, <laughs> like uh, the we were there before it was cool. Okay, you, you, you know what's what it looks like. You know. Um, Okay, what? you you you're almost uh, the same age of mine. 
but Julia is technically very young, so probably he doesn't know about that. <laughs> technically very young. <laughs> you remember the Dexter's Laboratory cartoon? Yeah. Julia, you don't know that. Nope. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, that means we're in the same generation, Charlie. <laughs> yeah. So th there was this, this cartoon series about this baby genius. Uh, and <laughs> and for uh, I mean he, he had some kind of French exam French test the day after and he wow you were a big fan huh yeah 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 and he didn't want to start I mean he didn't he didn't think that uh, was worthy of his um, uh, of his uh, studying basically so he, right. he conceived a system. Uh, with which he could have learned the vocabulary and basically how to speak French by just listening to some French recordings while he was sleeping. So some some sort of unconscious way to learn without uh, any effort. I mean, I told you, he's a, he's a baby genius. And uh, except that the recording got stuck at the very beginning, at the breakfast section, and oh, nice. and the kid listened the whole night just to the word Omelette du fromage, which, which actually is, is a mistake because in French it's omelette au fromage. But omelette du fromage. <laughs> and the day after he wakes up and the only thing he can say is omelette du fromage. <laughs> <laughs> he interacts with people just saying this, uh, these three words. And, uh, and it's basically what's happening with food security, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The whole time I was thinking, where is this going? Right. Yeah. It's... Uh... We're having the omelette du fromage moment in the <laughs> in the agrifish. Very very niche reference. By the way, Julia is, is on YouTube, man. You can you can also <laughs> catch up. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure she'll go and check that out. Definitely. Speaking of maybe not, but I'm I'm gonna eat omelette du fromage afterwards. Yeah oh. yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> Actually, Julia. Speaking of other other interesting story, um, we published last week. Uh, there was also something from uh, that you covered on, uh, uh, in particular, a letter from MEPs asking for something to the commission. Indeed, yeah, we have, uh, yeah, talking about this whole food security thing and how it's uh, kind of keeps coming up. Uh, the whole fight, kind of discussion about um, food security and maybe scrapping, postponing, modifying some of the environmental requirements of the new common agricultural policy um there was a group of meps which was led by the head of the agriculture committee norbert linz uh, who's a german conservative he drafted a letter and it was supported by um a number of the other groups coordinators but not all uh in which basically asked the commission to assess whether it's it could be possible to postpone uh, some of the requirements of the new common agriculture policy which is supposed to come into force next year 2023 um for a bit in light of the ukraine war in order to be able to produce more food and specifically this is about this um rule on fallow lands which under the new cap farmers are supposed to leave four percent of their arable land as fallows and this goes for all farmers and basically the um the MEPs would like this to be postponed and to be left the way it is now, which is a bit more flexible and it only goes for a bit bigger farmers. It doesn't go for uh, only for ones exceeding 15 hectares and uh, not under. So 
basically they'd like the whole uh, environmental rules to be a bit more flexible for some time uh, in light of the Ukraine war. And they wrote a letter to ask the commission to check whether this could be possible. Yeah, and, and uh, again, it's um, Norbert Linz also uh, came back to these aspects in the Twitter chat that we had on uh, Thursday. So you can, uh, if you missed him, if you missed uh, his tweets, uh, he also had some kind of beef with uh, another <laughs> MEP, uh, Thomas Weitz from um, the Green, uh, Austrian MEP. Uh, but another interesting uh, story from last week was the uh, agriculture side of the Repower EU package, which is this uh, um, this set of measures uh, conceived by the European Commission uh, aimed at overcoming dependence on Russian fossil fuels. Uh, you might ask why agriculture has um, a part in it, because, of course, there's... Uh, uh biogas that could help in reducing uh the eu's dependency on uh, on uh, russian gas but the there was a bit of a problem particularly in the in the farming sector uh with the agriculture um the, the farmers association copagojeca uh complaining about that it's on the possibility to transferring up to 7.5 billion from the EU's farming subsidy. So basically, uh, the the second pillar, the caps, uh, the cap second pillar, the rural development, uh, to this uh, um, to this this plan uh, to reduce the Russian uh, uh, energy imports. So this was uh, th th there was also some, some reaction from some MEPs like Herbert Dorfman uh, who said that uh, further incentivizing the use of food for biogas at this moment again this moment it's it's a reference to the food security issues uh, it seems to, to uh, it seems to him simply immoral and uh, likewise a column uh, Marky another uh, Irish MEP uh, from the same group actually from the um, EPP, the center-right EPP, uh, he said that uh, food, food production should be the top priority for, for farmers, uh, relaunching a bit this uh, evergreen debate on uh, energy versus food when it comes to, to this kind of crop that could be also used for, uh, for uh, energy purposes. So this week, um, a colleague of ours, close colleague, who's in our kind of in our family, uh, our agri-health family, Amalia, um, she actually had an interview with the EU ombudsman, that's Emily O'Reilly, uh, so the EU's watchdog. And the interview was on something completely separate, not about agri-food, it was about um, transparency of COVID vaccines, but I'd also invite you to go and check it out because it's a very interesting piece. Um, but we also um, asked a couple of questions about uh, about the cap. Now, back in February, um, the Ombudsman wrote to the Commission to talk to, to a query about how it will ensure transparency and a balanced representation of interest during the implementation of the cap reform. And we covered that back in February, so you can also find 
the link to that article. Um, and we've just now had the opportunity to speak with um, Emily O'Reilly to ask why she decided to launch um, this action, why she thought this was important. Um, and this is what she had to say. A reform of the EU's common agricultural policy was agreed last year and it's now being translated into concrete measures that are going to be implemented by the member states. So one of the aims of the reform policy is to reduce the environmental impact of farming. And in light of this, I've asked the European Commission how it intends to ensure that decisions related to environmental pr protection are not unduly influenced by special interests. And I've also asked what transparency measures it will take concerning its exchanges with member states on the new policy. A further issue, of course, is how the Commission monitors the accuracy of the information it receives from Member States about the recipients of CAP funds and because this information is not always complete or up to date. So this initiative is part of my overall aim to enable people to scrutinise EU decision making, particularly in areas of great importance, such as those related to the environment. So this week, uh, Natasha actually was traveling again. She's quite uh, on the road lately. Uh, this is an attack. This stuff. is an attack. Uh, <laughs> You'll also be on the road too soon, Julia. Don't worry. I, I swear I'm not being passive aggressive. Um, <laughs> I'm happy for you. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy for you is really the... <laughs> I don't know the how to get out of this. <laughs> the quintessential of uh, passive aggressive. You know? Any say, anything I'm going to say is going to make it worse. We're just, <laughs> I'm just going to charge ahead. Uh, anyways, uh, what we get out of her traveling is uh, waiting for something that she brings. Uh, it's true. Yeah. Apart, uh, apart yeah. of uh, a lot of pics of the beautiful places that she visited. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's true yeah 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 just you know stoking a bit of envy there what can i say um yeah we're very, so now i'm very curious to see uh what what food uh she brought for the flavor of the week this week i wouldn't from... be a good agri-food reporter if i didn't come back with food from the places that i visit you know so i actually had uh, ended up with the maybe i'll give some clues and then maybe people will see <laughs> i came back with a suitcase full of olive oil like five liters of olive oil it was quite insane and also several bottles and now if we were in the podcast studio i would have but unfortunately gerardo has covid and julia is in germany <laughs> but if we were in the podcast studio i would have brought this in the flavor of this week for us to sample although it potentially wouldn't have been maybe wouldn't have been a very good idea because it's actually alcoholic but anyway um it, it, but this imagine last week we were all together so if just I think so. We were all together in the in the. I can still bring this in next week when you're yeah. when you're better and when Yulia's next in, and we can still sample it. But anyway, this is what I'm talking about this week. It is a, a liquor from Sardinia, which is where I was this week, um, called Mirto. I probably pronounced that incorrectly. Mirto, yeah, indeed, it's Mirto, yeah. Mirto. It's not exactly the same, except for the exaggerated like Mirto. <laughs> Merto. No, no, no. It's Merto. Yeah, this, this is the right pronunciation. Merto. So I was eating my meal, got to the end of the meal, and people, and they came out, the host came out, and they offered us this liquor that I'd never heard of. Of course, I said yes. And I also said, this sounds like a flavor of the week to me. So I actually have the bottle. You did this for the podcast, basically. Do it for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a hard you know, it's a hard life, but 
someone's got to do it, you know? So I actually have the bottle in front of me right now. Um, and Myrto is a popular liquor in the Mediterranean islands of Sardinia, Corsica, and Caprea. And it's made with the berries of the myrtle plant. Now, the myrtle bush grows all throughout the Mediterranean, but it's especially abundant um, in Sardinia and Corsica. So there are three types of myrto. There's myrto rosso, made from the purple berries. I'm very conscious of my pronunciation. No, no, no. Anyway. I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying anything. I know that's why I'm conscious of it, because I can hear you silently judging me. Oh, that's absolutely. Fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. After Bergamo, I am fine. Oh, no. Don't bring up Bergamo again. (laughs) Anyway, the Rosso is made from the purple berries, and that's the one I'm looking at right now. It's a very, it's a a really beautiful kind of Bordeaux color. Um, There's also Merto Bianco, which comes from white berries. And there's also a type of Merto that's kind of a, that comes from the leaves of the, of the plant. Um, and it kind of, it tastes sweet, but it's also maybe a slightly bitter taste. I think when I was drinking it, I kind of expected wine. It's not, it's not that. It's kind of more syrupy with a slight bitter, bitter taste. Um, and many people make mirto for like, for their home, their own consumption, local or home consumption. Um, and there are only a handful of kind of official small producers on the island. And each of them have their kind of different trade secrets, you know, the kind of alcohol they use, the proportion of myrtle berries, the alcohol, infusion time, things like that. But it's the same basic process, I think, for for all of them. And it's basically made by infusing um, a base alcoholic spirit with fresh myrtle berries for 40 days and then filtering it, pressing it, bottling it and aging it. And then the, the spirit kind of absorbs all these aromas and flavors and colors of the berries. Um... So actually, the the myrtle berry was uh, sacred to Aphrodite and Demeter, and was worn by Athenian judges and woven into wreaths in, that the Greek and Roman Olympians wore. And it, the word myrto actually has its roots in Greek mythology, and I put that in there for you, Drale, because I know that you're a fan of Greek mythology. <laughs> of Greek mythology, huge fan. A huge fan, huge fan. So Myrcene was a young girl that was transformed by Athena into a shrub, into the shrub, into the myrtle shrub, because she dared to beat a male competitor in the games, which I don't think sounds very nice, to be honest, by Athena. uh, Yeah, not cool. Not cool, Athena. But anyway, okay. Um, But anyway, as a token of peace and love, myrtle is often incorporated into bridal decorations, including Queen Victoria's bouquet. There you go. And it has many medicinal uses, um, which very traditional kind of long-term medicinal uses so there we go that's Mirto, everyone it's it's, it's really a pity that uh, our uh, listeners can't read the script because in this moment there's a part saying something about gerardo's weird advert <laughs> so i'm supposed to say something about <laughs> an advert of Mirto in uh, <laughs> in the nineties in Italy that it was a bit elusive, but uh, I don't I don't think it's uh, it's appropriate <laughs> content for our uh, listeners. Uh, you can get in touch with Gerardo by Lashley. Yeah, yeah, by Lashley you can send send me a direct message on Twitter and I can uh, we can talk about about this privately. <laughs> That's all from us this week. Uh, this week, the AgriFood podcast is produced by Euractiv's AgriFood team, Gerardo Fortuna, Natasha Foot, and Julia Dam, with the technical support of Evi Chiori. You can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms, including Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agriculture news from the EU. I'm Julia Dam. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Mm-hmm.